1: I'm Melissa Lee, and this is Fast Money. Tonight's Trader Lineup, Guy Adami, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, and Bono and Eisen. Tonight on Fast, we are tracking the after-hours action in shares of Uber and MGM. Both stocks on the move on earnings will break down the numbers straight ahead. Plus, the ultimate hedge. One top technician lays out six charts to trade right now with stocks hitting all-time highs. And later, looking for a few good Redditors. This job posting from one hedge fund that is a true sign of the times on Wall Street. We start off with reefer madness, the pot socks lighting up today as the Reddit rebellion takes aim at the cannabis trade. Just take a look at some of these names, Tilray, Chronos, Afria, Canopy all blazing higher in today's session. Let's get right to Frank Holland with more on these wild moves. Frank.
2: Hey there Melissa, you left out one of the biggest beneficiaries, SunDial Growers. They are boosting a lot during this reefer rally. You said reefer, I'm going to call it a reefer rally. Uh, all this mention on Wall Street bets Uh, that sundial growers, it closed 70% higher now moving about, well, excuse me, 17%, 18% higher after hours. It keeps moving higher. So take a look. This meme with over 40,000 interactions on Reddit, it really could be telling the whole story. A lot of posters saying they're taking their GameStop gains and then putting them into cannabis stocks. One user who appears to have started this frenzy over Tilray and Afria saying in part, anticipating a victory over shorts this Friday. Let's get this bread fam. Guy, that means get this money. I know you're on Urban Dictionary. Then there's a bunch of uh, rocket emojis. That's shorthand for confidence that the stock's going to take off. Another poster saying they've been putting money in weed for decades, and now they actually own stock in it. Just to give you a sense of what could be partially fueling all of this, trading volume for many of these stocks really going through the roof. Tilray, 475% higher than its 30-day moving average. MedMen at nearly 400% over its 30-day moving average. Afria, 230%. Now, back to that one comment about beating the shorts. Here's the short interest for some of the big names in cannabis. Tilray at about 22%. Aurora and Kronos, over 14%. Nowhere near those GameStop levels levels that were over 100%. And, in fact, our data team says most of the companies, uh, they're seeing their short interest on the decline in recent weeks. Melissa. Frank,
1: fascinating. Thank you so much. Frank Holland with the latest on that. We start off here, I guess, with the cannabis king because we got to go to the cannabis king on this. Um, Tim, we're talking about mostly the Canadian stocks. Those are the stocks that are um, more held by institutional holders in terms of being targets potentially for shorts. And so does that make them more attractive for this retail trade?
3: Well, it makes them shortable, too. Remember, these yeah. are trading on New York Stock Exchange and NASDAQ. You can get a bar on them. Uh, look, the U.S. companies that we've talked about a, a lot, and let's be clear, we've talked about the, the U.S. market and the fundamentals there. Uh, a lot of them, if, if not all of them that touch the plant, trade over-the-counter because they can't list here. So they don't have the same short-sell dynamics. I mean, it, it's yes, you could short them in Canada, but again, we're talking about uh, you know the dynamic going on in the short squeezes here. The, the Tilray short um as is is more compounded by the fact that Tilray and Afria have merged uh, and this deal is going to close and and it creates i think even just some merger arb dynamics of Tilray shorts that may need to cover related to that so people are looking for the catalysts i mean the catalyst mostly for cannabis is uh, the fundamentals have gotten better the legislative calendar um, was a sign that the US may be open for business for everybody including canab including Tilray and and, and Afria faster than expected. But again, um, I think the story around Tilray, remember, this is a stock that in the summer of 2018 squeezed up north of 280 a share uh, and then has moved down ever since that point. That was a short squeeze then. This has been a a target for the sector for a long time because of the NASDAQ listing. And, And I think for that reason, it's been a vehicle.
1: I think the latest number on Tilray shorts about 22 percent or so short interest, according to FactSet. You know, Bono, and what is interesting about targeting the sector is that unlike a GameStop or an AMC, which um, some might have argued were headed to bankruptcy, it had difficult times ahead. It's a whatever euphemism you wanted to use, uh, this is a sector that actually had some fundamentals behind it. There are bullish fundamental reasons to be in this sector. But here we are getting that extra juice from the retail trade.
4: You now I like that you draw parallels and comparisons between the two because it really has been a recent phenomenon that has kind of taken the market by storm. <clears throat> now when we look at playbooks and you mentioned GameStop Yes, there are very much differences and I'll start with the short interest as well as the borrow cost. So Tilray is trading around 22, 23% in order for you to fund and borrow those shares too short. So there's already shown that there's been some interest there. Where I kind of caution is just generally jumping into names, setting a threshold for short interest and saying, okay, this is a good opportunity to buy. Buying short companies or buying companies that don't have the requisite fundamentals is not a long-term investable strategy. You may realize profits in the short term, and I can understand people pursuing that. But I do want to make sure that we kind of level set here and understand that there does need to be some fundamental analysis and support for why you will put money to work in these names. It can't just be a general screening for short interest percentage as a percentage of float.
1: I get that. You get that. A lot of people on our panel get that but a lot of people out there see the momentum behind these, these names. And Guy, I'll go to you on this one. Sundial, for instance, that's the name that Frank Collins started his report with. Sundial's 30-day average for volume is 571 million shares. 571 million shares, the 30-day average. Just to give you a comparison, Microsoft's 30-day average for volume is 30 million shares. I mean, the momentum is there. So how, as a trader guy, do you reconcile perhaps the, the, the nagging angel on one shoulder that says fundamentals versus the other one that says, but look at the momentum, ride that? Yeah.
5: So, you know, you're making an Animal House reference there that I won't necessarily get into. Really? But what Bono just no did, idea. by the way. Yes, Mel. Yeah, I know you don't. Know. <laughs> that, that does not surprise me in, in the least. But... The icebreaker just now did a whole NBC, you know, the more you know, that should be, you know, that little music, the more you know, because he absolutely nailed the entire thing. But what I'll say is this, a couple weeks ago, I had the opportunity to do Power Lunch with Morgan Brennan, and then we talked about GameStop, and she said, what do you think? And the stock was trading on $80, and I mentioned the volume being like 180 million shares and how it was just extraordinary amount of volume, 10 times normal volume. And I said that day, the move is probably over based on the volume. Well, little did I know that a week later, would be trading $480 or so. So I absolutely hear what Tim said, what Bonoan said. But, you know, when the momentum, when the, when the, when the crowd <coughs> gets behind it, and things can go a little crazy. So maybe it's not necessarily over, and if, maybe it will overshoot. I don't think to the magnitude that we saw with the GameStop. But right now, volume events are not necessarily dictating exhaustions of moves.
1: Uh, Timmy, you're raising your hand, so uh, did you have a comment? Just, just
3: trying to be polite. Just, well, two things I just want to point out. So first of all, Sundial also is a penny stock, so that yeah. share count is extraordinary because of, of the dollar price of it or lack thereof. Um, look, I, I'm long till rain my ETF, and I want to point out something that, uh, you know, it's not a stock I was long for a long period. Um, but because of some of these flow dynamics, I I, you know, I put a position on, you know, at least – Uh, grew a very small position uh, six to eight weeks ago. I sold into this strength today. Again, so I'm someone that's been long till Ray. Uh, I run a cannabis ETF, and my view is that, first of all, a lot of this is a gift. Uh, the stock's up 440% already this year, and to me, uh, I run an active fund. I, I'd actually like to, to take advantage and fade some of this strength. I, it, it will uh, probably go higher, but I sold 40% of my position today because I think that's the thing that I'm supposed to do as a fund manager.
1: Yeah, by the way, we say penny stock, but, the, but Sundial does have a market cap that right now exceeds $4.6 billion, um, so that, that, but that is because of the frenzy that it has seen. Karen, let's let's think of the scenario, and I doubt you will ever find yourself in this situation. But let's say you wake up one morning and you have a stock in your portfolio that you have learned has become a Reddit
6: target. What would you do? Uh huh. I would. I'd be very excited about it, actually. To be honest. Um, You know, I really would want to understand what they like about it. Is there any fundamental story that they like about it? So that would be one thing. And I believe here in the cannabis space, Tim has highlighted it numerous times. There really is a fundamental story. However, where you know Tilray is trading, if you're going to buy it here and wait till they, wait till it gets crazy to a crazy price, I don't know. Maybe it's here already. So that you know, I wouldn't be hanging on to it my position. You know, I have one particular stock that does have a big short interest. I wouldn't be hanging on to it, hoping that it got to insane, insane. Once it got to like, wow, this is getting a little out of control, I would certainly sell some. I think Tim did the right thing for sure. You got to, I mean, you have to have some sort of risk management mechanism and up this much in one day. I mean, you know, you got to take some money off the table. If I were in that position, I'd be taking money off the table, too. Would I maybe let a little bit ride just for fun to see where it peaked out and then sell it lower? Yeah, probably, to be honest. (laughs)
1: Yeah, of course. I think that's what many people would do. Tim's shaking his head yes, too. Let's get more on the rally in pot stocks and bring in Owen Bennett, Jeffrey's Global Tobacco and Cannabis analysts Owen, great to have you with us um you make a good point about what Robinhood allows in terms of trading of these stocks and what it does not allow and, and maybe that's why we're seeing that canadian names move much more so than the u.s names
7: yeah i think the the strength in canadian names recently is almost entirely coming from retail and within that the reddit community and um, i think there's a there's a couple of factors at play driving the retail interest first Obviously, the possibility of U.S. legislative reform, meaning that retail wants to get exposure to cannabis on a platform like Robinhood, and you can't buy the U.S. names, so Canadian names are the only option. Even on platforms where you can buy the U.S. names, arguably many retail investors aren't aware of the U.S. MSOs. It's always the Canadian names that, that grab the media headlines. And um, Secondly, and obviously, guys, you guys have been focusing on this, in the discussion I just joined. So the Canadian names were heavily shorted by institutions and therefore retail arguably also at the same time trying to squeeze those shorts like they did with GameStop.
1: Is there also any sort of um, ETF dynamic here, Owen, that we should be watching out for in terms of names in the sector being dragged higher because of this interest in the Canadian names? When you take a look at an ETF, let's just say, you know, the MJ ETF, for instance.
7: Yeah, I mean, what you also see now, there's, there seems to be more awareness of the um, MSOS um, ETF. Um, retail investors can get access to that because it trades on the New York Stock Exchange. Um, arguably, therefore, now, given that offers a lot more value and, and the fundamentals of, of the US MSOs um, are significant. Because um, right now, I mean, there's a huge mismatch in valuations and fundamentals of the US and Canadian names. If you take the The biggest four US names, the combined EV is 26 billion. Last quarter, combined sales, 825 million, and combined cash flow from operations was 70 million. For the top five Canadian LPs, combined EV was 35 billion. Last quarter sales, just 351 million, and combined cash flow from operations with an outflow of 1.6 billion. So you can see that huge discrepancy in valuation fundamentals. If people begin to become more aware of the MSOS ETF, um, it, it's very likely that you could see more money kind of shift into that through buying of ATF.
3: Hey Owen, it's Tim Seymour. Thanks for joining us. I, let's just talk about uh, cannabis multiples relative to other high growth multiples. And let, let's focus on the U.S. because I think we all agree uh, this is a much bigger addressable market. There's already proven profitable operators um, and, and that, you know, look, managing money in any in, in any sector is about understanding also where capital flows go. So I think people need to Be very aware of that but talk about uh where this sector can go and how you know how far into a re-rating process do you believe we are for the top names in the u.s
7: i think the the big thing holding back the u.s at the moment is the fact that institutional money can't get can't get involved and if we do see legislative reform whether that is safe harbor language or the safe banking act or more broader legislation that opens up the capital markets. We're going to see a huge inflow of institutional money into the U.S. names, and I think that will drive material re-rating.
1: Material re-rating such as, can you give us an example just for for fun?
7: Well, I mean, you you just look at what's going on now. I mean, you look at the Canadian, sorry, the U.S. names trading on a next 12-month EV to sales of kind of five, six, seven times. Mm You're looking at the Canadian names with not as attractive fundamentals. They're trading on double digit. I mean, so it's easily wow. it's easily assume a scenario where all these U.S. names overnight move to double digit um, EV to sales multiples.
1: All right. Owen, oh, you got to leave it there. Thank you so much for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right. We are also seeing, no surprise, some pretty big moves in cannabis options today. So let's get to Mike Co. with that. Mike, what are you looking at?
8: Yeah, so I, I think it's quite incredible what we're seeing here. I mean, let's just focus very quickly, if we may, on just six of these companies. I have them right here. Tilray, Aurora, Afria, Canopy, Organogram, and Kronos. Every one of these six companies traded over 100,000 contracts today. And to put things in perspective, the average S&P 500 is about 23,500 contracts per day. All of these names would have been in the top 25 most active. But I think what highlights that this whole thing is really more of a trading opportunity and is not an investment conversation is when we take a look at what the options market is implying. Implied volatility for S&P 500 stocks on average is about 35 percent. So what that translates to is the options market implying a move of about 8 percent higher or lower over the course of one month. What is it for these stocks? 200 percent. So what does that mean? The options market is implying an average move for these stocks, higher or lower, of more than 45 percent. What are people doing here? Are they investing for the long run? This suggests absolutely not. What they're doing is they're speculating on the volatility and they're trying to play off of that momentum. And to Bonwin's point, that can be a risky exercise. It's not an investment game. It's a trading game and there will be winners and losers.
1: Sure. And a lot of people out there will say there's nothing wrong with the trading game <laughs> um, as long as you know how to manage that risk or as long as you know that the money you're putting at risk is the money that you're willing to lose. So, Bottom, I'm just curious, what, what did you make of all of that options activity that we saw today?
4: Sorry, I've got to shake the stars out of my eyes. I was swooning as Mike was talking to me in options talk, and I was, like, really getting excited there. Um, listen, what, what I will add is that some, of that some of that option volume in the calls is what you're seeing are synthetic positions and unlike GameStop, a lot of institutions are getting ahead of this move and securing borrow so that they can retrench at various levels of stock price. So I do want to point out, it might really hit the nail on the head here, but there are some other dynamics that are playing out in the option space that allow institutions to actually get better access to stocks so that they can trade this more dynamically. That is the biggest difference I've seen between this instance and GameStop previously.
1: All right. Uh, Mike, thanks for that, Mike Co. Um, we've got an earnings alert for you. Check out shares of Uber dropping after reporting results. Let's get to deep I was going to say Debo, but Debra Bosa for full name with the numbers. D. <laughs>
0: you can say Debo, Melissa. I know some of your other traders do. Uh, Uber, strong growth in the food delivery market, still not quite enough to make up for the decline in ride sharing bookings. Now, the big question coming out of this quarter for the year, years ahead, is. What happens after the economy reopens? Dharik Shahi has, of course, spent the last year pouring billions into the pivot to food delivery. But take a look at this chart. For the first time since the pandemic began, mobility eked out delivery on a dollar basis. So when the economy reopens, do habits revert also, i.e. ride sharing recovers? restaurant delivery decelerates. That would put Uber in an interesting position once again. Now, Shahi kicked off the earnings call saying that he has increased confidence in their ability to reach break-even this year, similar to what we heard from Lyft last night. He also says that they are preparing for a stronger recovery in ride-sharing and ramping up investment there. We heard from both CEOs um, of both ride-sharing companies some concern that there may not be enough drivers. Um, Now, at the same time, when it comes to food delivery, Uber is, of course, investing here, too. As Cosr Shahi put it, it's not just food, but all goods. There's the Postmates, Corner Shop, and Drizzly acquisitions. Um, Uber, though, is still lagging rival DoorDash's growth in the food and convenience delivery market space and facing intense international competition. Lastly, Melissa, I just want to note net losses, still a staggering number for this or any gig economy company for that matter. $6.8 billion on $11.1 billion in revenue in 2020. Back to you.
1: All right, Deidre, thank you. Deidre Bosa, or Debo, as she's known on this show. Um, We should note that the stock's decline in the after-hour session does not erase the gains it put on in the regular session on the back of Lyft's results. Uh, Guy Adami, you know, this is a stock, Uber, that is, that had done well, better than Lyft during the pandemic because of the way it is positioned. Coming out of the pandemic, should it still do better?
5: No, I don't think so. I mean, and we talked about it with Gene Munster last night, and he actually did a very sophisticated "Would you rather" without us even realizing it. And he actually did say <laughs> Lyft, and it's going to be fascinating to me to see how Lyft is trading in the post market here on the back of Uber, and how it trades tomorrow. I still think the trade, the Paris trade that we talked about in the fall, works being long Lyft and not necessarily short Uber, but rather than Uber. Uh, and I think it continues to. I think that's what's going to continue to manifest itself moving forward. I just think lyft is a cleaner model and to gene's point last night imagine having 60 or so california situations in terms of what uber is dealing with internationally so the takeaway i i, I get from this is how will lift trade in the aftermath of uber my sense is it'll come off at the beginning but i think it'll actually firm up sometime tomorrow
1: uber bought drizzly for a billion dollars or so the alcohol delivery company karen it's it's interesting to make an acquisition of a company who you could argue is having the best time of its existence during this pandemic as we are coming out of the pandemic
6: yes although i do think that some of these these habits that people have developed in the pandemic will remain right once you spend a lot of time on your couch and just have food and whatever drizzly you know liquor delivered to you um (laughs) you know, it's hard to really motivate to get out there. So I think that a lot of the, that, that sort of market share from restaurants will remain. However, I agree with Guy on just looking at Uber versus Lyft. I'm surprised, I mean, it's had a big run up, and so it's not surprising it's in a little. You know, that rides miss was, it was rather substantial. So back to your, you're not even a would you rathering me, but I would rather be in Lyft than Uber right here, but they've done a good job in a very, very difficult situation. But I just think it's too expensive.
1: Because it's Karen, I shall allow that. Coming up, shares at Disney (laughs) hitting all-time highs ahead of its earnings report tomorrow. But will that mouse house deliver magic for investors? We'll bring you the trade, but first, MGM's earnings call is just getting underway. We'll get you all the details driving the casino operator stock right after this break. welcome back to fast money we've got another earnings alert on mgm which is down after its report the conference call is underway let's get to contessa brewer with the details contessa
11: well melissa the thing mgm resorts has going for it it doesn't have all its eggs in one basket so where normally las vegas is the driver of mgm's business in a year where the strip has not recovered the customers who are coming are younger and richer and pool season is right around the corner that's a significant source of cash for the company MGM's bright spot is at its regional properties, where it continues to see margin improvement. And where the all-important conference and group business has just taken a gut punch, forcing midweek closures at Mirage, Mandalay Bay, and Park MGM, CEO Bill Hornbuckle highlighted a survey from the convention center in Las Vegas showing that respondents are just sick of Zoom meetings. They're eager to resume face-to-face probably a lot like your panel. Plus, given the bookings, they're anticipating reopening these hotels seven days a week in March. And though Macau is still struggling, it has a resurgence of COVID cases in other parts of China. This weekend is Chinese New Year. It's a really crucial time for these casinos. And we've heard from others about cancellations. But as China is vaccinating its population, we may see some rampant business there. Finally, BetMGM, its digital app, continues gaining market share, expanding into more states. Right now, 12, and we're told it will be in 20 markets by year's end. And in the iGaming segment, remember, I keep telling you about these casino games that are important for the growth in, in revenue. Bill Hornbuckle says there, BetMGM is the leader, really driven by its Life Rewards program, Melissa. All right. Contessa, thank you. Contessa Brewer. Karen, you're long, MGM.
6: Yeah, I'm long MGM. I bought it, I don't remember, in May or June, um, the uh, 13D that uh, IAC filed. So remember, Barry Diller and Joey Levin went on the board. They never, not never, but I don't recall them ever having taken a stake this big in something else, right? They're a serial acquisition buyer of companies to put in their fold. They liked this, and they really believed that um, the online gaming business could be huge for them and obviously we see that starting to take place and we see it in DraftKings and Penn Gaming and so that was really interesting to me to follow them the stock didn't trade up that much on the heels of that so to get in at not very different prices than they did in the low 20s uh, was really interesting to me plus you have the reopen trade so stocks run up a lot going into this earnings Uh, the the stock the story isn't about this quarter's earnings so I'm going to hang on to it I like it. I like, you know, I think it's a reopen trade, and I like gaming as well, the online gaming as well. Guy?
5: Think about it. I mean, MGM closed higher today than it closed its previous high back in February. I mean, just to put it in perspective, and if you, I know it's Karen's right, it's obviously not about this quarter, but for perspective, I think the Las Vegas occupancy rate was like, you know, 38 percent or something. So this company, I think, is being In a lot of ways, I'll say it bailed out by BetMGM, and I think Karen's spot on, so you probably can ride this. I will just caution the folks out there, we've been very positive on DraftKings. For you technicians out there, you know the 64.5 level, the high from October, where we just basically traded up to it again, seemingly have failed. So just look out for a potential double top in DraftKings here. It's probably not a bad place to take some money off the table.
1: All right, coming up in other earnings moves check out shares of Zillow. They're soaring after hours. Seems like it's not just SNL watching millennials scrolling the site. We'll bring you all the details. But first, worry that the market rally won't last. Well, Chris Verone is here and he's playing defense. He's found cover in a surprising sector. We'll go off the charts to bring you the ultimate safety play when Fast Money Returns.
9: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do.
1: Welcome back to Fast Money Stocks, hitting all-time highs today. And if you're starting to feel a little worried at the top, our next guest says he has the ultimate hedge for your money. Let's go off the charts with Chris Verone of Strategus. Chris, what are you looking at?
12: I'm Alyssa. say, well, you know, I think it's important. We're 70% off the low over 10 months. You have the Russell 2, which I think is 40% above its 200-day. I just want to be respectful of the tape and get an understanding of what some of the market's more defensive corners are trying to tell us. And when we think about defensive groups, in this market really have four or five options. We can talk about staples, we can talk about utes, we can talk about gold or bonds or REITs. So I kind of want to take them one by one and see where we stand. We'll start with the staples. That's the first chart we brought along. The trend has been up, but they haven't been a leader. And if you look at Staples making multi-year relative lows right here, I think we can kind of cross them off the list. They aren't providing any type of protection in this market. Discretionary is still better. So let's say it's not Staples here. Let's move on from that one. What about the utilities? Utilities actually have been weaker in absolute sense, has not made a new high. It is also making multi-year lows. Might be a reflection of bond yields. The fact that bond yields have gone up, utilities uh, have softened here. So our first two candidates, Staples and Utes, both making multi-year lows, we don't think that's how you can play defense in this market. So what does that leave us with? It leaves us with bonds, it leaves us with gold, and it leaves us with the REITs. And I want to show you our third chart here. This is a look at all those defensive groups since November, since the vaccine news on November 9th. Just one of these groups, that blue line, that's the REITs, which have actually showed up. And I've kept their head above water over the last couple months. I think this is where if you're eager to put some protection on here, if you're eager to get more defensive, I think this is where you can go. And if you look at where the money has gone over the last 12 months, these are the top six sectors of inflows over the last 12 months. I don't see REITs on this list. If you go to the next list, the bottom five sectors all the way at the bottom attracting among the least amount of money over the last year are the REITs, and you know, as we like to say, we don't like REITs because they're last on this list. We like the REITs because they're getting better and they're last on this list. So what names can we play here in this space? They're actually more offensive than people think. Uh, I wanna focus on the mall REITs. This is Simon Property, ticker SPG. Um, you know, This is a stock that didn't peak in 2020. This is a stock that peaked in 2016. You had a five-year bear market here You've based for the last 10 months, you've broken up through 100 bucks, 105, 106 today. I think this can trade 135, 140, a nice bottom, a nice base there. And then the Resi REITs, EQR, equity residential, another improving name, another stock that's weakness and it's underperformance predates COVID. This has been an underperformer for a long time. I think this has bottomed uh, in a very big way breaking out here uh, over the last several days. This is another one I think in the context of wanting to put a little defense on in a defensive sector, um, this is a way to do it. REIT's better than Staples, they're better than Utes, and they're better than Bonds.
6: Chris, it's Karen, let me just ask you something about REITs specifically more in the commercial office space. Is it, I mean, things I think will continue to get worse because we haven't seen leases roll over yet. Do you think this sector, though, is so bad and, and already pricing in just, you know, further downside that the risk-reward compelling here?
12: You know, this is another area where, Karen, I think, as you know, these office rates didn't peak in January or February of last year. A lot of these things peaked four or five years ago. And when you're a relative laggard and you get a nasty event like COVID, you're the stocks that get punished the most. That already happened. I think that's been discounted in these names. A lot of them traded down 70, 80, 90% into the lows um, last March. They have spent the last year improving. I think office, along with the retail REITs, along with the mall REITs, are improving part of the sector. Now, conversely, on the other side, the area that everyone has played in the REITs, the data centers and the towers, that's SBAC, that's American Tower, those are the ones actually rolling over here. So much like you're seeing with the broader market, more offensive leadership, even within defensive groups like REITs, you're seeing the more offensive names take leadership as the more defensive names start to underperform.
1: Chris, thanks. Good to see you. Thank you, Melissa. You- Chris Verona, strategus and, and Tim, I think that's an important point in that there is a big component within the REIT sector that is very leveraged to the reopening trade.
3: Oh, yeah. And, and the other thing that I, I think we all say, I know I say it probably too much, but the, the the best returns are sometimes derived when things go from terrible to just bad. And, and if you think about mall property REITs, um, look, it, it, were there darker days than the the downfall of essentially the shopping mall period meets COVID? And, and so I think it, it, to the extent the Simon Property Group is now um, at least seeing some, some leverage to a reopening where uh, a lot of bad news has been processed in terms of Landlords having to to break leases, renegotiate. Uh, Obviously, mall traffic. We know where it is. So uh, I like the call. Chris always lays out a great story. Uh, And and I think in the defensives, I would also look at MLPs and the energy sector, which are also at least in some sense, uh, you know, maybe seen as not as defensive, um, but and at times have been riskier. But clearly, again, yield plays that I think right now are very much in vogue.
1: Bonowin, your defensive play, your top one. Well, I I, well.
4: Listen, I think that I follow his logic in terms of this being a a relative value play. Where I have a bit of a question is in terms of presenting it as a defensive play, only because we've seen so much price volatility in both the REITs and the the individual properties themselves. Uh, Personally, I think if you're going to play defensively, I still like some of the healthcare names. I still like some of the emerging market names. And I understand that they're reopening trades, but just in terms of a difference between names that have had triple digit returns versus names that are still somewhat relatively under the radar and don't have the same idiosyncratic risk. I don't want idiosyncratic risk because I can't really model that out or forecast that. So that is kind of how I'd be positioned in terms of playing it quote unquote defensively.
1: Coming up, could Bitcoin be coming to more corporate balance sheets? What one company said about getting involved in the cryptocurrency and one hedge fund figuring out how to capitalize on the Reddit revolution, how the company is trying to get ahead of any future scor- short squeezes. or Fast Money into. Welcome back to Fast Money. Take a look at Bitcoin pulling back from all-time highs, the crypto getting a major boost earlier this week after Tesla bought $1.5 billion worth of digital currency. So the question we've been asking is, will we see more big-name companies follow suit? Listen to what Twitter's CFO said earlier today on CNBC.
3: When we think about our balance sheet, we think about matching how it's invested and the Um, currencies in which it's invested relative to how we might pay people, whether it's uh, paying somebody who's providing a service to us or paying employees. So we've done a lot of the upfront thinking to consider how we might pay employees, should they ask to be paid in Bitcoin, how we might pay a vendor if they ask to be paid in Bitcoin, and whether we need to have Bitcoin on our balance sheet should that happen. Uh, It's something we continue to study and look at. We want to be thoughtful about over time, but uh, we haven't made any changes yet.
1: I think it's interesting the distinction that that Twitter CFO and also Tesla is making in terms of why it's carrying Bitcoin on the balance sheet. It is the use case for Bitcoin as opposed to the store of value argument guy, which a lot of um, bulls on crypto right now are making. It's a store of value, it's a store of value, it's a store of value. For companies, though, excuse or reason for adoption, for the most part it's been because of the use case or the potential use case.
5: Yeah. And I think that's fair. I think that's getting ahead of the curve without question. And the BK, the Bitcoin baller, has been talking about that literally for the last four or five years. So good for him. And for every company that says, you know, it's a use case, you have, I think, a micro strategies, uh Michael, Michael Saylor, who is basically, you know, he's basically telling people, you know, you're in this worthless dollar. You should mm-hmm. be diversifying. So I think there's a little bit of a difference there somewhat nuanced, I guess. But you know, it's sort of also live by the sword, die by the sword in it. And again, microstrategies, the run has been tremendous. But on a relatively benign day for Bitcoin, you know, microstrategies was down 24% today. And I think these are the types of market fluctuations we're gonna be seeing. We talked about it last night. And I think you have to talk about it again this evening, Mel.
1: Yeah, I bet on a lot of earnings calls, there's that question, are you considering putting Bitcoin on the balance sheet, Karen? And you notice that that actually happened with GM. <laughs>
6: Yes, actually, it was right near the top of the call. And Mary Barra was very, I think I wrote it down so I can say it exactly. Uh, we don't have any plans to invest in Bitcoin, so full stop there. I mean, no. She closed the door on that. Later, she did, you know, if their customers want to pay for it, pay for their cars with Bitcoin, that's something they would probably look at. But in terms of for their balance sheet, no. So I think, you know, we're going to see a lot of, we're going to see the question in every, in every, um, conference call. But I think we're going to see a lot of no also for now.
1: Yep. Coming up, the Mouse House on deck to report earnings after the bell tomorrow. Will this be a magical quarter for the company? We'll break down the Disney trade ahead. But first, Zillow is zooming higher in the after hours on earnings. Is it a buyer's market for this stock? All of those trades and much more when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out here's the Zillow topping the tape after hours, on pace to hit all time highs. The real estate app reporting earnings double what analysts were expecting for the latest quarter, as the U.S. housing market remains red hot. The company seeing a record 201 million unique monthly users on average during the quarter. Karen, what a phenomenal number that is.
6: I mean, the number, the bar was really high and uh, they Dwight Stones did. I know that uh, Tim and Guy may have another, (laughs) another, a different approach to the high bar. But I know Dwight Stones, friend of the show. It was extraordinary. I mean, even, you know, expectations were high. This quarter was so good, it was ridiculous. I had not been a fan of their home buying, which wasn't the star of the quarter. But Mm -hmm. I guess that flywheel approach of them being in every part of the business from you know, internet media technology to loans, just being in the center of it all. Extraordinary quarter. They've just done a tremendous job. And I think they, they anticipate further acceleration. So I blew it. I missed this one. Fantastic job. Now I'm sad, but good for them. <laughs> Don't be sad. There
1: are other opportunities. Um, Tim, what do you think of Zillow? And, and where would you go in the, in the housing trade if you one were to believe that housing will remain hot?
3: Uh, I think Karen was also referring to Dick Fosbury of the Fosbury Flop. Huge fan of the show. Uh, We like to talk about him whenever we can. Apparently. um, We're the only ones. And Yeah, sure. (laughs) Um, Look, housing trade, I continue to think, especially after these charts of, of, you know, done some consolidating, but also that we've had a chance to look into the fundamentals, Home Depot uh, and Lowe's home improvements. I actually think Home Depot over Lowe's after a significant underperformance uh, of Home Depot, two lows over the last 18 months. Uh, I still think that there's more money in the pockets of homeowners through lower interest rates. In addition to the appreciation of their homes, people are still investing in their homes. And I think they will uh, maybe even more so after the pandemic ends. Bonoan? Uh,
4: Roger winners. I think this is just a continued testament to the strength of the overall housing market and ways to play it in secondary or tertiary type of stocks as opposed to being only um, in the builders themselves. I mean, I have a hard time kind of fighting momentum here. I understand that we are consolidating and, and the trade is seemingly a bit long in the tooth. But as we've said from this sector to every other sector, I mean, the, the proposition of fighting um, momentum here just is I don't like the risk reward.
1: Coming up, Disney earnings on deck. Will it be a happily ever after or Mr. Toad's wild ride? We'll dive into the options markets for more on that. And later, when Hedge Fund is looking for a few good Redditors, the job posting that is a major sign of the times on Wall Street. Fast Money's back in two. Welcome back to Pass Money. Here's a sneak peek at the Kramer cam. Jim's speaking exclusively with the CEO of Mattel. You can catch that full interview top of the hour on Mad Money. All right, we're gearing up for Disney earnings. The media giant reports tomorrow after the bell. of the stock hitting yet another new all-time high in today's session. So, Guy, what are you expecting? Well,
5: I mean, I'm sure they're going to talk about Disney Plus, and it's been staggering, obviously, what's been going on there in terms of growth. And Karen and Tim have been all over this for a while. In terms of the new valuation, they should be receiving. And by the way, they're getting that valuation in spades because at $190, it's probably trading close to 40 times or so next year's numbers, which is extraordinary, but maybe well deserved given what you're seeing with Hulu and Netflix. So, I don't necessarily think it has to be an earnings um, uh, huge beat to the upside to keep the stock moving. I think it all comes down to this this transition. The company's going through i'm inclined to take
4: profits but that's
5: been the wrong thing to do now for the last four or five months
1: bono and how's the options market setting up for this one
4: yeah well i like guy thought about a stock replacement strategy but the options are telling me a completely different story calls outpace puts four to one and options are implying about a six percent move in either direction between now and friday compare that to about a three and a half percent move on the back of earnings on average and then the trade that really jumped off the tape for me, keep in mind about 6,000 of these traded over the course of the day. But 1,100 of the Feb 205 calls were purchased early in the morning for about 189 putting your break even at 20689 or about 110% of spot. It's another short-dated trade. I think it's a pretty aggressive call for stock going into earnings that's already trading at an all-time high. But people are pretty bulled up.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's up 33% so far at... Actually, that's a one-year chart, but still, that's a lot. That's a big gain here. Uh, Tim, how do you stand? Where do you stand on Disney at this point?
3: Uh, very bullish. Uh, you know, I, I, the valuation's difficult, except for I, I. think the valuation and the multiple need to go higher. I think they've, you know, they've guided uh, reasonably conservatively. I think ninety-five million is a number that's conservative on on Disney Plus subs. The strategic reorg, let's not forget about that. That's applauded. That's not a problem. And I talked about yesterday companies that are in a position to overshoot on the upside on on a reopening trade. Uh, Why isn't Disney one of them? I I think absolutely people will be running to their parks uh, and experiences as fast as they can. And and I think studio will come reborn. So uh, it should trade expensive. It will.
1: Uh, I mean, imagine the kids across America, Karen, who have been begging their parents to go to Disney. Mm. And they said, we can't go because of the pandemic. When it finally reopens, they got no more excuses
6: i know the one good thing for the parents of the pa- about the pandemic is you don't have to go to disney but it is extraordinary guy you gave me credit i don't deserve it i have not been long this for 40 more more points than that so i missed this one as well i i, I think there it's not like the the parks are priced for free now so i don't know it's, if it goes higher it's gonna be without me All right. good job tim for more options action, be sure to tune into the
1: full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, Redditors wanted the job posting that got all of us talking tonight. The details when we come right back. Welcome back to Fast Money. Wall Street is apparently looking for a few good Redditors. New York-based hedge fund Syndicator Capital posting a job listing for a sentiment trader who will spend most of their time on Reddit, Discord, and Twitter to figure out what retail traders are hot on? Among the requirements for a successful applicant, an active account on the Wall Street Bets Reddit forum, and no quote mainstream financial brainwash. Um, we, to be honest, did not confirm this job listing, um, but it's it is out there. Uh, out there, Guy. I don't know if you're interested. I know you're very active on Discord, for instance.
5: Yeah it's, uh, yeah, it's interesting. You know, you said, t- to be honest, if you want the job, Mel, you've got to say TBH. And I think there's going to be a line behind Vin Diesel, Giovanni Ribisi, and Ben Affleck probably for this job. <laughs> but I hope whoever gets it um, does, does extraordinarily well. I mean, I'm clearly not qualified, although I do know what a GIF and a uh, Mimi is, if that helps.
1: <laughs> uh, let me clarify. This is uh, on LinkedIn. We did confirm it on LinkedIn. Um, but did not talk to anybody at, at syndicator capital. Um, but sir, sign of the times, right? I mean, Tim, if you are momentum tra- hedge funds are often momentum traders. you got to know where the momentum is coming from.
3: Yeah, look, guys, um, I love you all. I love you people, but it may be time for me to take that job with J.T. Marlin. So um, <laughs> see you soon.
1: <laughs> time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Tim, kick it off.
3: Yes. Uh, I talked about MLPs earlier in the show. AMZA gets you the MLP index. Uh, I think there's a lot of yield there and a recovery that continues.
1: Bono in.
4: Doubling down on the VIX, it's found a floor here around 20, and we've all sat here and talked about all the volatility across the S&P. VIX.
6: Karen. Yeah, in my hunt for value, I keep coming back to Walgreens Boots, WBA, right here. Guy.
5: PSX, I mean, look at these levered names uh, going higher, announced a dividend. PSX, I think, it's, continues its
1: rise higher. All right. Thanks for watching. Fast. See back here tomorrow at 5 for more. Mad Money with Jim
9: Kramer starts right now. Happy birthday, Jim, by the way. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you